Hey everybody, it's Jake and I am alone in the basement. Uh, a couple weeks off, but we're back. And tonight I'm going to be talking to Raven Havoc. Uh, he is the current Total Psychopathic Wrestling Deathmatch Champion. Uh, one of the most underrated deathmatch guys in the country by far. This dude's been putting on solid matches for a year straight. And actually over a year at this point of stuff I've watched of his. And uh, still just doesn't get enough credit really should be blowing up everywhere, but for some reason, uh, tens, you know, you can't really guess the trends in wrestling, but this is a dude who everybody needs to keep their eyes on, absolutely amazing wrestler, and just one of those dudes who goes balls out every time, and I uh, can't wait to hang out with him again this weekend in Nashville, so uh, you know the deal, when we get back, we're going to be talking to Raven Havoc. Hey everybody, uh, so... This is going to sound weird, but this isn't after the fact. I just realized that I referred to Knoxville as Nashville, and I'm super sorry for that. I know they're two different cities in two different parts of Tennessee, and uh, that I should not have screwed those up. I might have been a couple deep last night. So, love everybody from the Knoxville area. You, uh, you are all my family, and I love you so much. And again, super, super sorry. <laughs> All right, everybody, we are back, and we are with Raven Havoc. Again, man, thank you so much uh, for taking some time out of your day to, to spend with me and, and just bullshit. <laughs> Not at all a problem. Uh, so we will start out with the question you've probably been asked to the point where you're just sick of fucking answering it. But how did you get into wrestling? And do you remember if there was anything specific that hooked you? Um. Yeah, I've told this story a billion times, but like, it, it's everyone's reaction to it is so different. So I, I'll I like to hear yours on my end. So, <laughs> so I'm dealing with sinuses. <clears throat> um, so when I was young, you know, um, I come from a pretty religious family, so like, I I discovered wrestling, and then like I got in trouble for watching it, but um. I kept I kept sneaking off to watch it, so I'd watch it, you know, Friday Night SmackDown or whatever. Um, but I think it was around the time John Cena debuted, and they did um, somebody like landed on thumbtacks or something, and I was like, hey, there's a there's something to this. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and bought out like two hundred or four hundred thumbtacks, and I just threw myself on them, and I'm like, oh, okay. This, this is kind of what I want to do. And then, you know, it wasn't until later on when I discovered the ultraviolet stuff, but it was always just about wrestling. If that's all I had done, you know, never knew anything about death matches. It was just wrestling in general. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like it's, that's like a niche that I don't think a lot of people immediately break in on. Is you know because I feel like a lot of people don't just immediately go like oh what's this and just death matches from the start. That's a hard thing to kind of to start on. God, if I would have, if I could have done it that way, I would. <laughs> I just think it's nuts that the first reaction was, "All right, I'm going to buy some tax, see how this goes." <laughs> and just give it, a, give it the whole one-two try. <laughs> now, uh, you mentioned Cena was like kind of like the, the time you started watching. So, like, is that what you started with? Was WWE? Yeah, yeah. And who were some of your favorites when you started watching? As corny as this is, and as much heat as I get for it, when Cena was like started the Doctor of Thugonomic shit, I was all over it. 
Oh no, dude, it was over as shit. I can't hate on anybody for that. I will never forget. I was at Backlash 03, which was like at like the height of it, like when he was still heel and he was going against Brock for the title, and the whole fucking place was just nuts for it. And it was like, damn, this is fucking over. Well, yeah, when when John retires, he needs to do that like one more time, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, no, you know, um, Rey Mysterio because he was so small. Yeah, I I agree with that. He was definitely an influence for a lot of the the smaller guys into knowing that hey, it's possible. That's right. Now, was it like from that moment that you threw yourself in the tax, you knew this is it? I'm going to be a wrestler. One of that, and just getting sucked into the storyline because I was like, if there's a if there's a rhyme or reason to do it, like I understood that young if there's a rhyme or reason then yeah we can do stuff like that um but i i just wanted to get into wrestling more than anything like as soon as i hit it's like you said it was like this is it this is what i want to do yeah and i mean for me it was like the same ever since i saw it that was all i ever wanted to do so so i totally get that that mindset (laughs) and i feel like everybody's training is a little bit different. Uh, you come from a part of the country that has such wrestling history and such background, being from uh, North Carolina. Uh, how would you describe your training? Was it like a pretty traditional old school setting? Well, it's so like the, the closest school is in Charlotte to me, and that's like an hour and 30 minutes or something like that. All right. So, you know, I, and I couldn't afford to go to training when I was young so you know I got hooked up with a dude as much as you see the character now and one time I was a good Christian boy <laughs> and I met up I was at a Christian like resort thing like we would go and you know help the community and stuff and um there was just this little black kid sitting by him so when I was little he was pretty pretty built and uh, he was probably around my age and I was like you know he's sitting by himself so I said hey man just come sit with us and we just started talking and just, you know, like you would someone that you just met, just BSing back and forth. And then I just said something about wrestling. And he was like, wait a minute, dude, I'm a wrestler. And I was like, no, there's more than WWE. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, he said, yeah, I live in Eden, which is about an hour for me. And he's like, there's a promotion that runs up there and you can get in. And I was like. Oh shit! This is real. <laughs> the moment where it all becomes clear. <laughs> this is a real thing that can happen. And um, but yeah, it was it was very much old school. Like, I'll I'll admit all day. I think I'm absolute trash in the ring, and I'm still learning a lot. A lot of my like quote unquote training has happened in like the past two years while I've been learning, you know, where I've been able to go to Jersey. I've been able to go to Florida and Indiana and meet and work with new people. And that's, that's been more learning than anything I've done. It's, it was almost like you said, old school, traditional. I learned how to bump. I learned how to chain. And that was about it. And in a way though, that is kind of the old school mentality of, okay, we're going to teach you enough to get by, but you need to learn everything else when you're out there. And that kind yeah, of sounds you, like you what you've been going through. Yeah, you got to learn on your own because we can't give you those tools. You have to make your own thing. Yeah, and I mean, and it's especially different too when, like, I'm sure 
as you're going through this, you're thinking, well, you know, it's not like I need to know exactly how to do six different headlock variations when I'm going to be going through spiky stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, I learned how to bump. I got the shit beat out of me. And that, I mean, that's just the way it was. That's old school down here. And then I was sitting on my merry way. But, you know, for so long, I worked with so many of the same guys that were trained that way. So I almost still have that mentality of I'm, I'm still very, uh, very much learning. I will admit all day I am still green as goose shit and still need a lot of learning and a lot of training. But, you know, it's it's every time I try to pull something from a match and, you know, I wish I could have done that better. I wish I could have done this better. Um, I work good with certain people. I get, it's like I said earlier, I get, I get really nervous when I work people I've never been in the ring with and I kind of go into panic mode. <laughs> and, uh, again, because this is all I wanted to do. Right. So I'll, I'll tell you a really good one here in a second. That <laughs> it pops everybody. It makes people laugh at me. But it's, it's, once I've worked you once or twice, then I feel like, I'm like, okay, I know how they work. I know what they do. Now we can have a good match. Right. And one of the best examples was the first time I went to Indiana, I did one-on-one with Alex Ocean. And I'm standing at the apron, or not the apron, but the entranceway, and I am shaking. I mean shaking, dude. Like, you can hear the tremble in my voice. And Ocean comes up to me, he puts his hand on my back, he goes, hey, bud, you okay? And I said, I'm about to go out there and work you, dude, like... No, I'm not a fucking fake. I'm nervous for shit. <laughs> and he was like, we're going to do fine. And you can see in that match, uh, there's panic in my eyes. <laughs> I, I get it. I get that because I was also, I used to be, I would try not to show it, but I was always nervous before I got into the ring. And someone told me like that should always be there. That little bit of butterflies that, if there ever if there's ever a time where that goes away, then maybe it's time to reconsider things. We did a taping, I think it was about a month ago, and I walked up to the promoter. There is no one in this venue except for wrestlers and camera guys, <laughs> and we're we're taping privately, so you know if something goes wrong, we can redo something. Yeah. And I walked up to the promoter and I said, "You know how I know I still love wrestling?" And he goes, "How's that?" And I said, "Knowing that I can go out there." If I mess up, we can redo it. Nobody's going to see it. And I'm still nervous. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. That's perfect. That is a perfect description of how you know who still has all those feelings about everything. That's that's awesome. Now, when you got out of, out of training, you're ready to hit the road. What was your first goal as a wrestler? Oh, dude, my goal's been the same. If I did this one time and broke my neck and could never do it again, I did it. That's it. I get that. I honestly get that. You know, anything else was a bonus. You know, I, I can I say it all the time. I've done way more than I ever dreamed I would ever do. Yeah, that's, ever. <laughs> that's like uh, we're coming up to me running my first show as a promoter and – you know, you. I've had those people go. Well, what are you gonna do if it like totally bombs? I'm like, I'm okay. I did it. Yeah. I'm not gonna be awake at night anymore. Going, man, I should try that. No, I did it. If, if it fucking sucks, at least I did it. I can just say, well, it happened. Fuck it. Yeah, you, you did it. <laughs> it's it's the same. It's been the same since day one. I did it. 
you know, there's we always have goals. Like, would I like to work for um, like uh, what's in a good example, ICW or something? Yeah, of course. Would I like to work for such and such company? Yeah. Would I like to do this? Yeah. But like, if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Which is good though, because I feel like there are so many people who put way too much pressure on themselves, and then it kind of reflects what they do in the ring. Yeah. I could see that. You know, like if No Beast called me, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll work with you. <laughs> right. but, well, like, you know, I've, I've messaged them and talked to them, and apparently they've, they've kind of looked at me, but like, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, you know. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Now, who were some of the people that were really helpful to you when you were breaking in? Like with training and stuff or, or like one, as, I, as I started doing a little more? At once you started, you know, hitting the road. Well, for so long, I, I worked for that one company up in, you know, Eden and that that's just all I knew. I, I didn't know you could go like other places. I thought it was small promotions and then the only the next step was like a ring of honor and then after that it was tna or wwe i didn't know there were small promotions out there that were you know good credibility and stuff you know because at the time it was like czw and stuff that's just an example i didn't know nothing about like pro wrestling gorilla or anything like that but i didn't know there was multiple stepping stones yeah i was like oh there's a promotion every 500 miles and that's it there's nothing special about it <laughs> not knowing there's this huge world yeah exactly I mean I didn't know dude I'm a dumb kid from North Carolina come on <laughs> there's really not that many differences between like rural North Carolina and upstate New York it was like when I was trying to explain to like Matt and Hack and Steve and I'm like no nah, dude this is like a misplaced southern state where it snows the, yeah, like the, you, do, you guys do have a little bit of southern up there. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like when I'm like when I first time I kind of like went down there. I'm like, man, I've always said that, but now that I'm like here, the similarities are like ridiculously striking. <laughs> <laughs> now, who was your first like hardcore or deathmatch idol that I worked with or just the, like that I noticed that you noticed because I mean you, you've talked about how you know you were a little how you broke in a little with like WWE and then it took you this this moment to kind of like realize all the stuff that was out there uh Sick Nick Mondo and then Danny Havoc okay both amazing wrestlers yeah absolutely <laughs> uh do you remember the first death match you ever watched Oh, guy was Mondo. Okay. Um, I I want to say it was. Damn, I want to say it was the one with him and Zandig where they came off the roof. Oh Jesus Christ! What an introduction! Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't fucking with heights, but like, I fuck with everything else they did. <laughs> uh, for me, it was FMW. That was that was my exposure. I believe. Oh, I know it was Hayabusa. I know it was an exploding barbed wire match. I know that for sure. I know. Oh, shit. I would be wrong either. I, I, no, it was a tag one. And I swear he was teaming with Tanaka. Oh. But I can't remember against who. Ah, fuck it. It's one of those things I'm going to remember 10 minutes after I'm off the phone with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what made you like fully commit to like, okay, 
I'm going to do a death match. And did you think that it was going to be like this one time thing or did you know like this is from here on out my specialty? Uh, no. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about this in the documentary that I'm doing. Uh, I'll go way more into detail with it, but I'll give you the quick rundown of it just so, you know, you and people have an understanding. Yeah. So we did, we had started a, a backyard group. Okay. My buddies. And like, if you want to talk about bona fide legit, this dude like covered all his traces. Like we had contracts we signed. We had <laughs> a, a bona fide like, all right, let me, let me try to remember that. Flat ground, tires, pallets, foam, and then carpet. Oh, you built a base. Yeah, oh, oh, no, it gets better, dude. It was a 20 by 20, and we put posts in the ground. Nice. And put posts on it. Yeah, dude, it was bona fide. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the last base that, that we had was. I remember it was tires, and then I remember it being, I think, plywood. And then the padding, and then a tarp. So it was so slippery. Been there, done that, bro. (laughs) (laughs) That was the that was when stuff started really getting good for our little backyard fed. Was when we had that built. Like we had fans that would come. You know, (laughs) um. But we built that, and then he blew out contracts. And, like, in the contract, it was like, do you want to do this? What's your nose? What do you will do? And, like, at first I was like, no barbed wire, no heights. I sure as fuck don't fuck with fire. I still don't fuck with fire. <laughs> I'm not going to start fucking with fire. Yeah, that one's that one's a little nuts. I've never, never – have you ever seen, like, any of those old-school FMW ones where, like, they light the ropes on fire? Yeah, no. No, not for me. I don't even know how anyone was just like, you know, it's a good idea, guys. We're going to be in there. We're going to soak these rags in, like, fucking kerosene and then just light them up and we're going to be in the inside. Like, it's not going to get, like, 155 degrees. <laughs> the amount, and you can't pay me enough. I ain't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but at first I was, like, no barbed wire because, like, my parents had found out I was doing it and I was getting yelled at enough for that. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to cut myself open. And then it got to a point where I just walked up to him and I was like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it today. Um, This is the day. And I did it. And I went, yeah, this is where I want to go. This is what I want. Now I just need to figure out how to do this on a bigger platform. Yeah. And uh, how how did your parents take that? (laughs) Oh, my parents thought I was just wrestling for the longest time. My snobby, bitchy, whore of an ex-wife fucking squealed on me, like, last year. So we had separated, and she had went to my profile because I hadn't blocked her, and she screenshotted a bunch of my bloody shit and sent it to my parents. Oh, no. Oh, bro. Oh, bro. (laughs) It wasn't a holly jolly Christmas that year? Oh, no, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, now, now you mentioned there how you didn't want to do barbed wire, and and this is a question I love asking uh, deathmatch guys because there's usually that one thing. What is the one weapon that you're just like, no, no, we're not doing this. No, thank you. Oh, well, fire! But besides, like that's some guys in general anyway. Um, I don't fuck with thumbtacks much anymore because I I find them. I don't think they hurt. I think they're irritating as shit. <laughs> okay. 
there's this like I land on them. I'm like, this is dumb. This is so stupid. Get, get it. <laughs> I hate it. I love how you how you put it like that. Like it's stupid because when I was talking to Murdoch, he was saying how he doesn't like barbed wire because he thinks it's stupid. Because he, <laughs> once he gets tangled in it, that even if it might may only be like thirty or forty five seconds for them to like get him out of it. He feels like he's a turtle on his back and he's been laying there for 10 minutes. Like, it just gets to him. And I'm like, I could totally see that. Like, in the moment when you're there, just like, okay, okay, come on. Come on. You're fuck- we're fucking up time and get the give me the fuck out of here. Yeah, but that doesn't, that part doesn't bother me. It just, Tax and me don't get along for some reason. <laughs> Despite that was the intro. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I don't fuck with scissors. I ain't doing that. Uh-uh. I remember the first time I saw the scissors board in Freedoms. Yeah. Oh, and, I, like, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's just there for show. There's no way that this actually gets used. And then when I saw him take, like, the back bump on it and just the way he went in because of the scissors being open, I was like, no, 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 fuck <laughs> no. That and pigeon spikes, I, I can't understand those. Yeah, I thought about pigeon spikes, though. <laughs> I was like, I, I'd probably do that. Like, even even the knife boards, I, I sometimes don't get, which you've done. Yeah. And, I, I don't know, there's just, like, that, that instant fear for me that, like, oh, God, what happens if, if there's, like, some type of, like, really bad opening? Like, when uh, Orin faced Takeda, and they used the yeah. board, and he split pretty deep. I was going to do, so the knife board was, I was actually going to do that with Neil Diamond Cutter. But my uh, my lovely, who's in the other room right now watching the baby, was, like, super pregnant. Ah. And she was like, no, wait till I am unpregnant. <laughs> then you can do it. And I was like, that that's fair. I love how that's the, the, how that's the conversation. But, yeah, like, it's, it's not like she's saying no. She's still being supportive. It's just we need to, we need to time that's better. <laughs> Dude, like, literally right before I came in here. I went in there and I hugged her and I was like, I just want to thank you for all that you do. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you let me go do stupid shit. And then you blew me up when I do said stupid shit. And I just love you for it. And yeah, that's, I think sometimes some people maybe listening kind of don't understand. But yeah, it's usually your friends and family post-match who are picking this shit out of you. And and that's why I think like the bond between the deathmatch wrestlers is so tight, and the way it is that it is like this extended family, mm-hmm. and it, it like I, it, there's so many beefs in wrestling between people over like stupid dumb shit. But anytime I've been around the deathmatch guys, it's just this like tight mutual respect that I wish could be, you know, it could be seen everywhere in wrestling and not just you know with you guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, John walked up to me after a match and was like, hey, man, can you wipe my back down? I'm like, yeah. Didn't even, not a split second, just, yeah. <laughs> and just how knowledgeable you guys are is is great because uh, I remember it was uh, right after I had talked to Akira on the podcast last summer. Uh, my wife went into the back room, accidentally stepped on a piece of glass, and now she's bleeding. And I'm like, hmm, what the fuck am I going to do? What am I doing? And I'm like, hold up. I know a guy (laughs) and you know, just immediately message. Hey, this is what happened. Can you talk me through gluing this? And yeah, no problem. I was like, these guys 
for what might pe- most people might think that they're a little bit insane, are the most genuine, sweetest people I've ever met. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I want to talk to you a bit now about TPW, uh, one of my favorite promotions, one that uh, I'm super happy to just kind of be within the circle of all you guys. It, it's something that I really cherish. And your 2020 there was absolutely awesome. Uh, I think that it's, if you, you, I can't wait actually to see the documentary, but I feel like there's probably so much good stuff just from that run in 2020. Oh, yeah. uh, because you show up in March uh, against John Wayne Murdoch, and then you go on to the rest of the year to beat people like Brad Cash, Alex Ocean, Neil Diamond Cutter, Travis Dykes, J.W. Dalton, and Draven Lee, which, you know, it's like a lot of that is a murderer's row of deathmatch dudes. Like, none of that is easy, and the wins are super impressive, and the matches themselves, I, I loved all of them. Uh, the four-way specifically between you and uh, Alex. So oh, yeah, and, and Brad and J.W. That was probably my favorite deathmatch of last year. And I went into it with like like no expectations, just because one of those things where a four I don't know. Sometimes I feel like when there's too many dudes, there can be just too much shit going on. But that was perfect. That was the perfect four way death match. I can't say enough great things about it. And just how would you say that last year was for you? Uh, I don't know. It's like it, it's so weird. I, I am my worst critic, and I hate everything I do in the ring. I absolutely cannot stand it. So when people say stuff like that, I'm like, man, you need better people to watch. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't do shit. <laughs> and I, I think that's crazy that you're, like, you're so hard on yourself in that sense because you were one of those dudes that like I knew. Like, I, I'd heard the name. I hadn't seen a lot. But then it's it's now gotten to the point where it's like, well, I can't miss Ravens matches because they're going to be fucking nuts. I'm going to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, f- I just feel like it's that dedication and that you know y- you're really honing your craft, whether you want to believe it or not. I really feel like you've hit this stride now, and you're one of those dudes that like whenever you know the the facebook groups or anything is like you know who do you want to see here or there yours your name immediately pops up in my mind and i feel like you're incredibly overlooked when you shouldn't be i appreciate it i'm I'm just super hard on myself it's like last night it's uh, like i was literally talking to somebody about it yesterday and uh like after it happened i'm like dude i am i will admit to you all day i am the absolute world's worst when it comes to a three-way the world's worst. I've all uh, like the like the match you were just talking about the the JW Alex and Brad Cash match. I had called J Dub because he lives like ten minutes up the road from me. And I was like, "Hey man, uh, I know you've seen me in Tennessee. Do you want to come? If you're not working, you know, just hop in the car. I can't promise you a damn thing, but you know, come hang out, come join us." And he was like, "Oh, right, cool." Jumped in the car. We got there. I talked to Matt, and I was like, hey, can we just throw J-Dub in there? And he's like, if it's cool with Ocean and Brad, then yeah, that's fine. They okayed it, and we was off. Yeah, And when they told me that, they're like, oh, yeah, he was just there that day. I was like, really? That's how he fucking got tossed in? Because, like, perfect timing. 
And yeah. what a way to fucking show up. I did not want to work a three-way. I hate them so much. Uh, I'm with you. I feel like three-ways are sometimes one of the harder matches to watch because I think, I don't know, it's just that extra person really throws everything off. And, yeah. And I feel like there's usually that one part in the match where the one guy's, like, down for way longer than makes any logical sense. Yep. <laughs> and you're yep. just kind of like, where are they? <laughs> But, and I forget everything, so... <laughs> last night's, though, I thought worked out really well. I, I really thought that. And, uh, you know, now that we're kind of talking about this year, too, uh, I guess it's kind of skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, we'll get back, I guess, to the title one. But, but the three-way you had that. with Herzog and Tristan... Don't I ever thought- watch that match. I liked that match. Oh, God, I hated that match so much. I think I liked it because for a three-way, there wasn't a lot of downtime for one specific person. Like, there was there was constantly stuff moving. Well, so, like, uh, we broke the fourth wall already. So, we had, like, such good stuff planned for that match, dude. Like, that match was going to be... I was going to be proud of that match. And where they had, were cleaning the ring and shit... Dude, we went out there and it was 26 degrees. The ring had frozen over. Oh, no. That's why everything was outside. Like, we just went out there and went, I don't know what the fuck to do. (laughs) Like, we can't do anything in the ring. And we couldn't. So it just became, all right, just beat shit out of each other. Wow. Well, then it's especially more impressive now that I think about it. When you guys had to do all that, that is that's more my weather than it is your guys' weather. Dude, I hate the cold. I hate it so much. Uh, I'm I'm the opposite. I hate the heat. I I can't stand hot weather. That's why I'm a little nervous about Saturday. I was like checking the temp, and I was like, oh man, it says like the real feel is going to be eighty. I might die. I'm too fat for this shit. Oh, fuck that, dude. If it drops below sixty, I don't want to be anywhere near it. <laughs> uh, but 2021. Has started out for you, uh, or a quarter way through. So it's it's been a hot time for you. You started out in February at TPW by defeating Nefarious Creed more for the TPW Deathmatch Championship. Uh, how would you rate that win? Like on what's most important, or you know, more important wins for you? I I was an emotional wreck. It wasn't. It wasn't. I'm I'm not super proud of the match. Like if I could go back and redo that match, I would do it again. Nothing on his part. Uh, I was not in the right mindscape. Uh, I was still dealing with Colt's death, and I knew that was my comeback because I had took um, pretty much January off and December off for you know the baby and stuff. So when I came back from that, I was still trying to cope with Colt and. I got a newborn, and yeah, just a lot was going on, and I was just not ready, I guess. Which, I mean, is understanding, because when you lose someone close to you, that's that's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing to come back from. I mean, you, you saw it last night. Like, I just, I couldn't talk. I, I had nothing in me. 
I, I couldn't talk after, you know, they handed me the trophy. All I could really say was I, I looked up at his dad and I said, thanks for giving him to us. And that's about all I could say. It, it, it was definitely emotional last night. Uh, it was also super emotional, I feel like, when you won the title. Uh, yeah. I, I teared up when when <clears throat> your wife handed your baby to you. That was, to me, like one of those just gut-wrenching moments where I was like, oh, man, that's... You know, when your family's involved, uh, I don't know what it is. That's always been, like, one of those trigger things for me. Maybe because my dad was so supportive to me, and then when he passed, I felt like everything crumbled. So when I see, like, other people's families just, like, being there for I'm like, oh, man. I, I yeah, can't dude, hold it dude, in. <laughs> she is so super supportive of me, man. It's it's absolutely ridiculous what she allows me to do. And, you know, with, like, the gear you saw me wear last night, like, I made that, like... She watched me make all this stuff. You know, she lets me take time to make these videos that are way long because I'm so tedious about them. And just a lot happens that she deals with that no one gets to see. I did not know you made that. Did you make the Danny Havoc one too? Mm -hmm. That is awesome. I didn't know that you did gear stuff like that. I actually just sent that off to um, his um, brother-in-law. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he he sent me a message, Mania Weekend. He said, if you ever decide to part ways with that, you know, let me know and what you want for it. And I said, I'll send it to you when I get back. Yeah, that that was that was a genuine thing to do. He just wanted to have it, and I was like, well, it's, I don't know when I'm going to wear it again, so it's better in your hands. Yeah, and that was... That was an awesome thing to do. That was a really... I think that just shows your character as a person. And I've, I've got the, the two bandana ones on the side, which were actually the first things I sewed when I was trying to teach myself how to sew. Those were the first ones that I made because I knew about that show, and I was like, all right, I'm going to make two of them. And once we do that show, and then once we do the TPW show, uh, you're actually going to be the first one to know this. Um, I'm going to give one each to Jamie and John. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's, I, I don't think, I don't even know to say I'm going to get worked up, but yeah, that's the perfect thing to do. So those will go to them just to have. I'm sure they'll be, be super happy. Yeah, his, his dad his dad teared up when I showed him. Uh, no, he didn't quite tear up, but you could just tell it messed with him a little bit. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I called him, and I was like, hey, Rod, I don't want you to see this before anybody else. And I showed it to him, and he was like, dude, that's awesome. And, like, he just kind of froze for a second. Yeah. it's 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 got to be so hard for those guys. Uh, I talked to Jamie a little uh, a while ago, and uh, I'm, I'm it, you know, I'm excited to meet the family and, you know, pay my respects to them. And Such good people. They, God, they're so good. Just the, the brief interaction I had was, you you could tell they were just such good people. They are. Uh, now the hard part is like trying to steer it back into wrestling related talk. <laughs> uh the no rope barbed wire match that you and JW had with, you know, with the pits, uh, that's on my top death matches so far this year. Which uh, again, I'm just kind of saying, 
you know, how, how much I'm enjoying your stuff lately. But I, I loved everything about that match. I loved the way you guys went through the pits, uh, the, like the opening and, and you know, the, the, the working of into the barbed wire. Uh, the knife board, I, I definitely cringed at a few times. Uh, how was that one you enjoyed at all or no? Oh, I loved it, dude. That okay. was my first time doing a no rope. Um, and which is weird because you know, with Warfare, the first show we did, the entire first round of our tournament was a no rope barbed wire, and I didn't even participate in it. <laughs> so I was kind of I was kicking myself in the ass about it all the time, and I'm like, I'm doing this shit. And I finally did it with J Dub, which which is the guy that gave me my first like hardcore slash death match match. So. You know, it was cool to do it with him. Um, that was his first time taking Kinzins. That was my first time taking a knife board. That was the first time I've used a syringe. So there was a bunch of firsts in there that people just don't realize that we're like, yeah, let's just jam pack it in this one match. And then we did the match, and I was like, man, we should have used the ropes more. Because there was another guy there, and he was like, I don't think you guys needed to use it anymore. You just, it was just kind of there. Everyone else wanted to see the crazy shit y'all were going to do. So... When, I think y'all did just enough. When you grabbed the Kenzan, my first thought, and I know this is like a weird, dumb thought, but was, where did he get that? Because there's I mean, a hobby shop like 45 minutes away that you can buy them all day. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I have no idea what their, like, actual use is. So their their other name is Flower Frog, and what it is is when you're making, like, bouquets or like just decorative stuff that you put around your house and you want things to stay in place you put those because they have weight to them you put them at the bottom of the pot and then stick your flowers in it and they'll stay in the same place so now i'm wondering like i mean the first person i ever saw using was abdullah kobayashi so now i'm like wondering who gets the idea of like man you know it would look sick if someone (laughs) Pounded this into my fucking skull, <laughs> dude. I'll, I'll tell you all day. It's the worst thing I've ever taken in deathmatch. Just the the aftermath and the videos of people, you know, trying to get them out is it's is hell. one of the hardest things to watch. It really is. It is hell. We got back because Jado had never done one. I'm like, if I'm if, if anybody's gonna shoot your first, it's me. Damn it. Amen. <laughs> We got back there, and he sat down, and I said, how's the Kinsen feel? And he said, get it the fuck out of my head right now. And I said, dude, I told you it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and and then just because I feel like after it's been in there for a while, it's obviously opened up. Like, I mean, definitely gussets cut, but I feel like that's just, since the wound now has been so opened up, that once you pull it, it's got to bleed for a bit. It does, and it, it it hurts going in. It hurts the whole time it sits there, and it hurts just as bad when it comes out. Oh, I don't know how you guys do shit like that. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I love watching it, but I just can't imagine it. I've done it three times. I took one to the – the first one I took was with Cannonball at H2O. The second time was in the tag match with Raver against Eddie Only and Eric Ryan, and they threw me on eight of them. Oh. And then I did it at our third show with Tremont. Oh, it's insane. They're awful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if anyone listening is wondering why, 
Uh, maybe in this interview that we haven't covered Unholy Warfare and stuff like that is because I have to have stuff to talk to you about the second time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, I'm hoping you'll be willing to do another one. Oh yeah, after I've got a little video that I'm going to post tomorrow and after you see that video, you may want to go ahead and do that. Alright. Def, we'll... we'll just, just watch, I'll post it in the morning. Alright, we'll keep talking, you know, for future stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um... What do I have next? Okay, this one. <laughs> the longest title reign for the TPW Deathmatch Championship is 195 days, which was Tristan's reign. Do you feel like this is something that you can surpass? I'm going to try. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm going to try. Dude, I just, I just enjoy what I do. That's the simplest thing. You know, I've never been one to argue about, you know, break that fourth wall, going down or going up. And I, I am the guy that goes, as long as everything makes sense, let's do it. Which is fair, I feel like. And, you know, that willingness to always, you know, do what's asked is, is a huge thing, you know, respect-wise between both parties. But it's always been my attitude. You know, I've only argued for me to win one match in my home promotion. And the promoter and I got into it. I was like, you need to put me up in this match. And he kind of got mad, walked off for a little bit. And then he came back about 30 minutes later and he goes, you know what? You do need to go up. And it extended that storyline for four months. Yeah. And see, so I feel like there is times where you need to, promoter-wise, need to listen to the talent. Because one person doesn't know everything. And it's important to get that input from all sides. He's normally pretty open to stuff, but he was animate about it at first. But then, like, I explained to him the way I saw it, and he was like, yeah, let's do it that way. Yeah, and I, I, I totally get that. Uh, now, uh, we've covered most of last night, uh, but in case anyone has not watched yet, uh, in one night in a tournament, you defeated J.W. Dalton in the opening round, Justin Fireball in the second round, and then in the finals, it was you... Terry Houston and Akira, and you wound up hoisting the cup last night, that, that gigantic, beautiful trophy. Uh, we've covered a little bit of how emotional it was, but uh, how... I was an emotional wreck, like, before I even got there. So, like, just going out there and doing it, I, I, just, I felt so bad. I was just like, I feel like I did not carry my weight like I should have. Which, I mean, I, I would disagree with that because I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed all your matches. Uh, I always love watching you and, and JW tear it up. Uh, I know there were some people kind of like complaining that there weren't enough like weapons early on, but sometimes a deathmatch doesn't need a lot of weapons as long as the weapons that are used are used right. I mean, yeah. But I feel like the finals made up for way more than that because you guys were like literally just tube after tube and just all the crazy shit that you guys did in that and you and Akira beating the shit out of each other it was I thoroughly enjoyed that match and I feel like everybody should go out of their way and drop five bucks to watch you three beat the shit out of each other <laughs> and I'm the one that's like yeah watch them don't watch anything I do because it's dumb <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, overall, I, I... Okay, there was... The only real complaint I have about the whole thing was 
Lodi's commentary. That's the big complaint I'm saying. <laughs> I know that we can't help that. I, I had nothing to do with that. I, I just don't. I feel like the, to me the weird thing was is as I'm turning it on and he says Lodi, I'm like, is that WCW's Lodi? And then I'm like, oh my god, it is. Yeah. <laughs> what does he know about death matches? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, apparently. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, how many... For me, I loved WCW, so that, like, weird, like, awkward connection now that you, of, of, like, old WCW guys who still appear, because there's not many of them left. And yeah. just to, to do something like, like that, I I was, like, all about it in, in, its, in its badness and its greatness to me, because, like, both sides appealed. I was like, man... Could you imagine if they did a deathmatch tournament in 1996 WCW? Yeah, I didn't get to watch any of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we are coming up this weekend uh, is the 45 show uh, that was put together by Brad Cash and the TPW guys. Uh, I, I can't wait for this. Uh, it's it's one I can't miss. That's why I'm, I'm going to be making the trek down uh, to, to spend the day with you guys and be there for the show. Uh, you're going to be facing Saradox, which I, I'm also pumped for, uh, in one of the most terrifying deathmatch stipulations ever, the, the a barefoot deathmatch. Um, what is, like, the biggest worry you have because... I don't know, just something about being barefoot and doing that, I, I, I don't know, man. And you've mentioned you hate tax. I feel like that at some point they're going to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, when people ask me what my nose are, it's like I don't do heights, I don't do barefoot, I don't do scissors, and I don't do fire. And I, I, I made the stupid decision to say, in honor of Adam and Colt, that I would do one barefoot match. And when Brad came to me about it, I was like, fuck, I should have never said anything (laughs) because I thought nobody would bite at it. And then it became this whole fucking thing and it's going to be this fucking thing. And I don't want to do it. I'm I'm like excited about Sarah, but I don't want to do the barefoot, (laughs) but I'm going to I'm going to do it for Adam and Colt. So Uh, that's the bigger thing. Yeah. And I mean, if there was the one time you were going to do it. It's probably the show to do it. Yeah, I'll agree. But yeah, I'm going to hate myself. Oh, yeah, it's going to suck. I'm hoping somebody gets you some comfortable shoes or like slides afterwards. (laughs) Dude, I'm taking my flip flops. (laughs) Yeah, I would too. I mean, I'll I'll probably be there in Crocs because I'm that old dad now. But um, the first time I ever saw one was June Kasai doing it. And I think I remember somebody giving him, like, an atomic drop into, like, tax. And Ugh. just the feet planting. And I'm just like, oh, God, no. No, no, no. Because, I mean, I feel like as kids, we've all, like, stepped on a nail or accidentally stepped on a tack. And you're like, fuck. That really fucking hurts. Now, imagine that times 100. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a nail go through my foot, like, through, like, the foot, like, whole foot. Oh. And I didn't even realize that happened until I looked at it. Like, I was at a construction site, jumped down, and was like, why is my foot warm? Oh, shit. 
Yeah, that was that was god awful. So I can't imagine. I mean, it only hurt for like five minutes because my foot went in like shock. But <laughs> I've had one go half through trying to build a fort when I was like twelve. So I I can't imagine the whole thing. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was so slow, and now I've got to do it for a whole match. Yeah, it's it's gonna be fun times. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Uh, on a plus side, though, uh, Raven Belcher from Wednesday 13 is going to be with you uh, on the way to the ring. Uh, are you excited for that part? Dude. <laughs> Wednesday is notoriously one of my favorite bands. Notoriously. Um, I've seen him twice live here in North Carolina. I have been on his tour bus. I paid the, I'm not going to tell you how much I paid to hang out with him. I was the only one that paid it. Um, I was only supposed to have 30 minutes on the bus, but it turned into an hour and 15. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was just, the, the marking out is not the word. And it's cool though, when they, you know, can find ways to make, you know, your heroes and stuff be a part of things that you're a part of. Yeah, and the, the, they were also super cool. Uh, and they could tell I was. Well, I don't know if they could because their manager was like, dude, you held yourself together pretty well. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I tried. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ex- excited for that part for you because I'm sure that's going to be, you know, a highlight for what at times is going to be a tough day. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, and uh, that's that's pretty much all I had for the wrestling related questions. Uh, are you, are you down for some of the random ones? Oh yeah, man. All right. Uh, we I use Anchor, which cuts us off after an hour. We're like at forty eight now, but just in case we go over, I'm just gonna stop this and then start it right back up. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. This is uh this is one that everybody gets asked. Uh, it's one I get heat for now in public after meeting some people who have been on the podcast. Um, grape or strawberry jelly? Grape. Thank you, Grape Jelly Gang for life. Yes. <laughs> uh, is there any lizard that you're like, fuck no? Lizard? Yeah. Dude, I had an iguana that I grew up like in a top bunk and then I turned it into a cage and I had an iguana that was like six foot long when we got rid of it. I just found out that they can grow that long, and that scares me. Yeah, they do. She was huge. Yeah, like, I had no idea that wild iguanas could get, like, that big, and I'm just like, fuck, man. I've seen, like, like maybe one that was, like, a foot and a half, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then to know that they're that big, yeah, that was that was a little terrifying for me. Nah, she was cool. She was pretty plain. <laughs> um... Uh, well, I found out Fear of Heights, so I can't ask that one now. Uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? Absolutely not. Thank you. I'm glad we can <laughs> agree on that. Uh, cold beer or room temperature beer? Depends when I'm drinking. Wow. That's a I flip. like my Angry Orchard pretty damn cold, and I like my Guinness about room temperature. Which I feel like is a, like most European people would agree with you on that. Yeah. 
I have to be in the mood for Guinness, though. It's not an everyday thing. No, it's either... <laughs> Dumb way to point this out. But the only times I will ever drink Guinness is either St. Patrick's Day or open bar. Because <laughs> I am cheap. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a snob when it comes to my alcohol. I'm, I'm so weird when it comes to things like that because I either like things that are super cheap or obnoxiously expensive. <laughs> yeah, I, I went. We used to have a place up here about fifteen minutes of the road from me. It was like World of Beer, and like they had beer from all over the world. And I got a cider that was twelve dollars a bottle. We, uh, I had one an hour <laughs> away from me in Albany, and I got to check out, which I thought was pretty cool. All the all the weird like different stuff they had. Um, I went. Uh, I was at a show last weekend. And then afterwards, a bunch of us went out to like a, a, I want to say it was like a, they had an in-house brewery and stuff, like at the restaurant. And I bought a sour that sounded really good until I saw it was nine bucks. And I was like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, this was to take home. This wasn't like at a bar. Like you you go in and like you pick your beers and like it's $12 a bottle. Oh, man. Yeah, I've, I've dumped some, some decent money. At places like that, on some on, on bombers like that, you know, just like the big twenty ounce bottle. Oh, dude, it was so worth it though. Right, it was so <laughs> good. It's uh, all I can drink if they were still here. <laughs> which situation scares you more: being alone in open water or being alone in the wilderness? Open water. Yeah, I hunt, dude. <laughs> I've never met anyone who answers that with the wilderness because I don't know, man. There's something about the ocean that creeps the fuck out. Oh yeah, I mean, my, one of my biggest fears is like I always try to keep my phone charged up, especially if I'm traveling because I am the world's worst with direction, and I have a fear of my phone dying and I'm not knowing where I'm at, and I get in a car accident and I don't know where I'm at, and like I'm off in a ravine and don't know how to tell me like I'm on 429 in a fucking ditch, like. Okay, I got a story for you, and then then I'll get to the last question. So, uh, I've told this one a few times, but you haven't heard it, so I'm interested in your response to this. Uh, After work, I work second shift, so I get home, you know, almost close to one in the morning, and I'll usually take a shower, just in case, don't want any COVID on me. And this one night, I'm in there. And I take a turn, and I feel the shower mat underneath me slide. And I know, fuck, this is about to be bad. So my fat ass comes barreling out of the fucking shower. Curtain falls down on top of me. I'm just flat back bumped out of there, trying to kind of catch my breath. And, like, my back, like, seized up. Like, I didn't want, it didn't want to move. And I'm like, shit, I can't reach my phone. So I, I'm like, hey, Siri, call my wife. <laughs> and it's ringing and it's ringing and she doesn't answer. And then it gets to the voicemail and I'm like trying to leave a voicemail. And then I realized I can't even like re- re- reach up to stop this. And that's when I just hear her yelling, Jake, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, I'm in the bathroom, and swings the door open and it hits me, and she's like, "What the fuck?" And I'm like, "Ah!" 
But yeah, I can get that fear too of then like, but that, now my biggest fear is that ever happens is me, you know, yelling to the phone to call someone and then they don't answer. <laughs> because then if they call back, how are you supposed to pick it up? Fuck. <laughs> <But. laughs> right, right. Like that is the one time you better call the most reliable person that you know. Can you keep calling my wife to let her know I'm in the bathroom, like, can't move? <laughs> uh, and the last one, it is the standard bearer of the show. What is the creepiest basement you've ever been in and why? Oh, dude, I've been in some weird-ass places. <laughs> All right, thank you. This is, Lately, I've had a lot of people like, you know, I haven't really been in a lot of basements, which, I mean, that is a smart thing. You probably shouldn't be. But Not I've been in a lot of shit ones, so I want to know other people. We, uh, I have a spirit box. Oh, um, you do? Spare box. Yeah. Um, I have a recorder. I looked into buying cameras a while back, which may happen eventually. Um, so I do all that kinds of shit, dude. Um, apparently, and I, I have no recollection of this, but there's an, uh, uh, an old shutdown, uh, mental asylum, like, Fuck, wow, parts out of way. I think it's like 45 minutes away from here that uh, 10 of my buddies went to that all say I was there, but I have no recollection of being there. Oh, man. Um, I've gone to places where murders happened and took the spirit box. Um, yeah, I've been to some weird places. It's too, That's too. Uh, I'll say the asylum because I have no recollection of it. I know that's not a basement, but I don't know if I went to the basement. Fair enough. It's still fucking creepy. Uh, my wife and I are huge fans of all the ghost shows. So to, uh, to hear you do that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, I used to go out. Uh, God, it was almost like every Friday we would go out. Because we've, uh, we've got some weird places. we got a place down here. Um, you'll just enjoy this because of the ghost stuff. Um it's just this one road, and it's just this one section of the road. It's not the whole road, if that makes any sense. Like, if you come down it, you go down a hill, you cross a bridge that's maybe 25 yards, and then you go up a hill, and there's a house, and then you go about a half a mile further down the road, and then everything's chill. But that, like, half-mile stretch, some weird shit happens, dude weird shit we've been out there stopped at the bridge and seen like red things floating over the water um we've been to the house um i walked up to the house and one of the windows flew out of the house um i've seen deer on the side of the road that looked like godzilla smacked it damn um we dropped the recorder one night at the edge of the bridge and heard indian flutes playing when we played it back like it's just this weird little section um, my car has shut down in the middle of the road going up the hill. Just weird stuff. Uh, the only closest thing that I've had to that is uh, growing up on the road I did there. If you went up, uh, yeah, I guess farther up it than where I live, there was this cemetery, which kind of gave you creepy vibes anyway. Like even during the daytime, you're like, eh, I don't know about that one. And I swore there was a time I drove past it, and in the back of the cemetery, 
I saw a house and I was like, that house always been there. And then I drove, you know, the next day during the daytime and it was not there. And I was a buddy of mine, Martel, if you somehow are listening to this, he was like driving home that night or was driving that way that night and then messaged me going, Hey, how long has that house been behind the cemetery? And I was like, oh my God, someone else fucking saw it. And I got like the chills bad. (laughs) Oh, very similar situation. My buddy Tyler, who now lives in Oregon, sadly, um, had been telling me about some weird ass dreams he had had. And he started describing the place to me. And I was like, Tyler, I know where you're talking about. And he goes, dude, it's just a dream. And I said, get in the car. And we went there and we pulled up to the house and he went, that's the house in my dreams. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, dude. <laughs> oh, that's that, that's the shit that just makes like you know your fucking spleen quiver. <laughs> yeah, it was. He told me all the stuff he saw, and I'm like, I wonder if some shit like that's happened. Right? Like you got some like weird fucking insight into you know somebody or something asking for help. <laughs> oh, well, all right, man. That was that was a a, a fun end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, um, huge fan. I appreciate everything you do, man. Do you want to throw out uh, your social medias and stuff uh, where people can follow you and, you know, keep up? Um, Facebook is, uh, Raven Havoc with a K. Um, Instagram is the Raven Havoc with a K. I don't fuck with Twitter. I know it's up there, but <laughs> I, I just don't do it. Um, yeah, that's how anybody can get in touch with you. All right. Um, I'm super excited to see you again on Saturday. Uh, you were actually one of the coolest people I got to meet the first time back in October I went. So uh, I'm really excited to catch up with you. Dude, I'm terrible at remembering shit like that. Uh, I usually have a really super shitty memory, but I just remember you going around gluing a bunch of people up and just having like, <laughs> you know, like a like little bit of conversation. And you were just such a, a, a nice guy to, you know, somebody that, you had never met before from a thousand miles away. So that really stood out to me. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Make sure you talk to me this time where I can actually talk to you and not feel like a total douche. <laughs> oh, it's fine, dude. This time I plan on being there much earlier. Cause I, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know if I got to tell you this, but when I was almost there last time, I forget the highway I was on, but I was in Tennessee and a fucking tractor trailer caught on fire. Like the whole thing fucking burned to the ground. Bro, we went by that shit. Yeah. Yeah, I got stuck, like, behind it, like, when it was, like, super in flames. And, like, the detour was nuts. They, like, made a stop. I was, like, yeah. there for, like, an hour. Like, I'm going to be so late. Yeah, I remember that shit, dude. They ain't the only one that got stopped. Oh. I was like, fuck, man. I hope this is not an omen for how the rest of the day's going to go. Which it was not. It was a really good time. <laughs> All right, man. Follow me this time. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, again, I can't wait to hang out with you this weekend. No problem, man. I'm uh, looking forward to it. All right, you take care and stay safe. I will, bud. Later. Later, buddy. All right, everybody. That was Raven Havoc again. Uh, he's one of my current favorite deathmatch dudes. Uh, so it's someone definitely keep an eye on, pay attention to. He's someone I thoroughly enjoy and is just overall a good person. And that's a big thing that matters to me. Uh, you know where to follow me. I mean, at this point, if you've been listening, right. (laughs) Or if this is your first time, Hey, 
Uh, you can follow me. Uh, Facebook's Alone in the Basement. Instagram's Alone in the Basement. Twitter is AITB Podcast. Uh, also, if somehow you have not heard this or gotten the word, uh, I have started my own independent. It is called Wrestle Association Heartstrong Gumi. Gumi is spelled G-U-M-I. You can find that on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is at Heartstrong Gumi and Instagram is at Heartstrong Gumi. Uh, we only have a couple talent announcements left. It's actually only three. There's only three talents left to announce. Uh, we've started announcing some matches. Uh, fans, we are limiting fans. There's going to be uh, a small number in attendance. Uh, the debut show is June 6th, 4 p.m. bell time uh, at Kevin Landry's Pro Wrestling Combine in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And just, uh, it's uh, getting a little nerve-wracking knowing it's close. And then, uh, as always, to finish it, thank you to my beautiful, wonderful wife, Shelby, who is up upstairs <laughs> uh, right now with the dealing with children. Uh, I think one of them still won't go to sleep, so that's, that's always fun. Uh, so, yeah, I love Shelby, and I love all you guys. And uh, I don't think I will have one coming up next weekend, because as I was saying, I... I will be in Tennessee, in the Knoxville area, for that show, uh, which I'm going to plug now, so don't forget. show is called 45. It's organized by Brad Cash and Total Psychopathic Wrestling. It's going to be at the Chatterbox Tavern in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Doors open at 6. At 6.15, Black Demise is doing a set. 7 p.m. bell time for matches. And uh, if you have not seen this card, it is absolutely insane. Uh, I can't say enough great stuff. It's, it's going to be one of the best shows of the year, by far. And uh, I'm super pumped to even have the little part in it I do. So I will, uh, maybe something will come up. You never know what, what can happen when you're around a million wrestlers. So, but I love you guys. Uh, take care. Stay safe. Don't get sick. All that good shit. Later.